Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Devil's Born, written by Mia Giglio. A young teacher takes the tutoring job from hell. Annie Mae is seven years old, cute as a button, and when she's bad, a cross between Carrie and Chucky combined. Kaylin Silva has just been hired as a tutor by the very wealthy Riley family. The salary is generous, her bedroom is luxurious, she has her own bathroom with a jacuzzi, and only one student, their young daughter Annie Mae. Kaylin thinks she has landed her dream job, but it may be a nightmare from which she can't wake up. At first everything seems to be going great. Annie Mae is an adorable seven-year-old child and very bright. But soon Kaylin begins to notice disturbing things about her pupil that defy logical explanation. People Annie Mae gets mad at suffer terrible accidents, and some even wind up dead. Kaylin begins to suspect something malevolent is hidden beneath the seven-year-old's sweet freckled facade. Kaylin begins to unravel a dark family secret which the Rileys will protect at all costs even if it means sacrificing innocent lives. As Annie grows stronger, Kaylin finds herself in a race against time to find out what Annie really is and how to stop it. If she doesn't, more people will die, and the greatest evil of all will be unleashed on the unsuspecting human race. With a mounting sense of terror, Kaylin realizes it's only a matter of time before she becomes Annie's next target. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Devil's Born. Chapter 3 I was right. Annie was an exceptionally intelligent child. I knew as much from reading all her school transcripts. I thought that math was a great place to start. Moreover, I wanted to determine Annie May's analytical skills. Since she was technically in second grade, and I say technically because after that morning, I thought Annie might be exceptionally advanced for the basic second grade curriculum. I began with the lesson, making sense of problems and persevere in solving them. We sat at the dining room table. Clinton had told me that I could use his office when he was away on business. Today was not one of those business days, so I decided to use the dining room since it was quiet and it had hardly any traffic. People weren't constantly walking through that part of the house. Annie wanted to work in her room. I refused because there would be undue distractions. All those Barbie dolls would be excessively tempting to dress up in style, at least where I was concerned. After I'd set Annie up with a notebook and pencil, I started by asking simple word problems. Okay, Annie. Susie had twelve pumpkin seeds. She put six in her pocket and planted the rest. How many seeds did Susie plant? Annie laughed at the question. Don't you have something harder than that? She asked me instead of answering it. Her smug tone surprised me, and not in a good way. After Annie told me that my first math question was too easy for her, I decided to give her some more complicated questions. Okay, I said. Let's try something a bit more complicated. I grabbed my notebook and pencil and wrote down a new problem for her to solve. This time it was a bit harder. Susie had 48 pepper seedlings and 30 squash seedlings. She planted 32 of them. How many more does she have to plant? 46! 
Annie replied, right after I finished reading the question. My jaw dropped. I had wanted her to work it out on paper, but she'd been able to spit out an answer barely a second after I'd given her the problem. Great job! I commended her. Let's try something a bit harder. I hovered over my notebook, shooting her a mock, narrow-eyed glance. You better not look! That got me a giggle from the little darling. Okay, here, try this one. I read what I had written. Jessica, Annie's best friend, is hosting a party. She plans to make pizza for everyone. If she bought 15 pieces of pepperoni, 10 pieces of salami, and 30 pieces of bacon as meat ingredients, how many pieces of meat did she buy in total? 55! Again, Annie's response was instantaneous. Excellent! That was a third grade problem, Annie! I was truly impressed. Okay, let's try one with subtraction and addition at third grade level. Seriously, at this point, I was getting really excited about having a super smart kid to teach. It was going to make my job so much easier. Part of me really liked that. The other part wanted more of a challenge. However, I was going to teach Annie to the best of my ability, even if it meant I needed to get into more advanced grade levels to do it. Annie sighed, starting to look bored. I chuckled and assured her that I just wanted to find something that would be more of a challenge for her, so that I actually felt like I was doing some good. She smiled brightly and giggled. Okay, Kaylin. Her enthusiasm seemed to come back. Now, let's try this one. I tapped my pencil against my pursed lips, playing up as if I were really thinking hard to stump her. Annie's eyes remained focused on my face. Aha! Uh -huh. I widened my eyes and gave her an expressive gotcha look. Thanksgiving was coming, and Dr. Mary wanted to celebrate it by sharing her blessing among different charities. She went to Old Town, where she donated $700 in total to three different nursing homes. If she gave $245 to the first home, and $225 to the second, how much did she give to the third home? Annie rolled her eyes. She looked at me as if I had insulted her with my math problem. $230. I shook my head, not believing what I'd heard come from this child's mouth. How did she get that answer so fast? In fact, every question I gave Annie, she answered a literal split second after I asked it. I ran the grade gamut from 2nd to 6th grade math word problems. It didn't matter how complicated the math problems were. Annie managed to answer them with no apparent need to calculate them out. My mind reeled at the incredible ability this child had. It was as if the answers simply came to her naturally. I couldn't explain it. I felt excited by the discovery that I was teaching a child who could potentially be at genius level. We spent the last half hour of the two-hour math session which should have only lasted 45 minutes, with me shooting out complicated addition, subtraction, and multiplication problems, including a few pre-algebra ones, and Annie answering them in seconds without using a single piece of paper to work out the problems. Every answer was correct. It was about 10 o'clock when I decided it was time for a mid-morning snack. Annie was getting a bit rambunctious, and it was time to move on to something else. Therefore, I called for Maria using the phone next to the kitchen, which was also an intercom system. As I put the phone back in its holder, I saw the newspaper from the night before. I reached for it, but before I had a chance to pick it up and look underneath for the doll that May had hidden, Maria walked in wheeling two trays with our snacks. 
Annie and I sat giggling and laughing about typical little girl things as we ate our snacks of grapes, brie cheese spread on crackers, and apple juice served in tulip-shaped crystal glasses. I made up my mind that Annie was a unique child. During the lesson, she'd had the wit and presence of a teenager. When we were done, about 20 minutes later, Maria came in and cleaned up. Mr. Clinton had a meeting at the office, so we were able to move to his study to start the lesson before lunch. I suddenly realized, as soon as we got to the study, that I had forgotten my briefcase with the day's entire lesson in the dining room. I found a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale book on one of the shelves. Weird that it would be there, but I figured that Clinton must keep books in his home office, just in case Annie visited him there while he was working. I pulled the picture book down and gave it to Annie. I forgot my lesson plan in the dining room. I'll be right back, okay? She smiled back at me and nodded. When I got to the dining room, I noticed the newspaper still sitting on the small table near the kitchen. Maria constantly dusted and straightened out the various decorations and fixtures around the house, yet she hadn't touched that table. My curiosity just wouldn't go away. I scanned the room, went to the doorway, and made sure no one else was near, then turned my attention to the newspaper and what hid beneath it. I paused. There was a weird vibe brewing in my gut. It felt as if I were doing something forbidden, yet inquisitiveness is a strong motivator. Besides, it's just a doll, I thought to myself. My hand shook when I grabbed the paper and picked it up to see underneath. The second I lifted the paper and looked down, I regretted it. My first inclination was to gasp in horror. Instead, I put my hand over my mouth to keep myself from doing just that. It was the doll. At least... That was what it used to be. What really struck me was that the doll was wearing black slacks and a white frilly shirt, just like Agnes had been wearing the day before when she'd greeted me at the front door. The doll's hair was styled the same as Agnes's, pulled back into a tight bun. It looked like a miniature version of Annie Mae's grandmother. That wasn't the part that scared me, though. Painted red streaks trailed along the exposed flesh-colored parts of the doll in jagged lines. Its face appeared melted, and a dark red gash sliced across its throat. The color of it reminded me of blood. The arms twisted into an S-shape, and the legs bent the wrong way at the knees, toward the doll's torso. Someone had deliberately mutilated it. I threw it back down on the table and covered it up with the paper again. The horrible thought of a seven-year-old child being responsible for such a gruesome depiction was disturbing. Why would Annie do such a terrible thing to her grandmother? There was no denying that it had been deliberate. The doll she gave me last night. No, it must be some mistake. Annie couldn't have been responsible for this. But who had? Agnes had been so sure that it was her granddaughter. I just couldn't fathom it. Not a seven-year-old child. I glanced back at the paper, and an icy shiver ran through me. Should I ignore it? I asked myself, knowing I couldn't. I did my best to shrug off the bad feelings before I went back to Annie. I didn't want her to know that I had seen the replica doll of her grandmother. Should I ask her why she'd done it? A feeling deep in my gut told me it would not be a good idea. Whatever her issue was with Agnes... It was something that May and Clinton Riley needed to deal with. I guessed it would be best to stay out of it.
although part of me felt the need to discuss the possible psychological implications of such actions with Annie's parents. Maybe Annie was acting out. Whatever happened at her old school may have affected her more seriously on an emotional level than May Riley is aware of. She did say that the situation, whatever it had been, was very traumatic for the child. I wondered if perhaps Agnes had done something to Annie in the past that may have brought out such a grotesque expression of aggression from the little girl. That was certainly one possibility. There was certainly some dysfunction between them. Of course there had to be a reason. Sweet little girls didn't do things like that. They just didn't. Maybe I would bring it up with May, when she and I were alone to discuss Annie's progress. Although, remembering the way she had shrugged the incident off when Agnes had given her the doll gave me second thoughts. My heart ached for little Annie now. Surely the child was suffering from some type of post-traumatic stress disorder. I wanted to dwell on this, but it was the wrong time. I'd have to call mom and get some advice before I did anything. Catherine Lynn Silva was a child psychologist. I was sure she'd know how I should handle this. When I got back to Annie, I managed to place a big smile on my face. Are you ready for some reading work? I asked just as pleasantly as I could. Annie was humming to herself when I walked in. She didn't look up from her book. I saw her smile and shoot me a sideways glance. Did you like the doll? She asked in her little girl voice, and went back to her book, still humming happily. I stopped halfway into the room. Did I hear her correctly? At first, I thought that maybe it had been a lucky guess. Then I remembered Annie hadn't been in the room when May had hidden the doll. How could she have known it was there? I stood staring at her, stunned and confused by her astute observation, which shouldn't have been possible. For a second, it felt spooky being in the same room with Annie. It was unsettling that she knew I had sneaked a look at the doll monstrosity she had created for her grandmother. The angst-ridden silence lasted for at least a few minutes until the little girl lifted her head and looked at me. Annie May pierced me with her unblinking glare. The sweet, innocent little girl had disappeared. I couldn't be sure of what it was I saw, but my eyes were telling my brain that Annie May had morphed into something much older, more sinister. I can't explain how or what. It appeared and left in a flash of a second. But I was sure I saw Annie's small, freckled face change into something evil, and it scared the hell out of me. I blinked several times, and when I focused on Annie again, the tiny, adorable, freckled face of hers stared back at me. I finally managed to form some words. What? What do you... What doll? She giggled and looked at me with her big, intelligent green eyes. The dolly I gave you last night, silly! Somehow, I didn't believe she'd been referring to last night's doll. However, how could I know for sure? Maybe what I was experiencing with Annie's sometimes bizarre behavior was all in my head. There had to be a logical explanation. Perhaps I was stressing over this new job more than I thought. A workout in the gym before dinner that night might just be the thing to relieve my anxiety. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Devil's Born. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com audible.com and itunes.com